Well, amen and amen. God bless you. I just love you all so much. And I, uh, so many things can come to mind as we uh, enter worship together here at Hillcrest uh, from the music and interaction and fellowship. And, I, I, and I, I'm just, moment by moment, I'm sitting there. Another thing comes up. Another thing comes up. I said, Ken, say something about that. I said, I'll be talking all day about little highlights. God spoke to my heart about, and I won't get to the sermon. Uh, Travis, where's Travis at? God, not the not music, Travis, no, the the coach, Travis. God bless you, brother. I I, I am going to say this. I, I remember when they announced in Rutherford County they were going to build the next high school, Seagull High School, uh, at the corner of Thompson Lane and Seagull Road. There's a little church right across the street from that, called Northside Baptist Church uh, that we were part of and planted over there and and said, well, we got to find out some things. I very early met the coach, and I found out they had nowhere to practice because they were building over there. I said, hey, said, we got 22 acres of property. You bring those football players over here and practice at Northside. They couldn't believe it. They did it. Uh, they invited me to be their, their chaplain, and for years, uh, boy, that was a load for me. But that, today, still today, the youth pastor at Northside is a chaplain over there. I tell you, if there's ever a crisis, if there's ever a crisis, if there's a suicide or a terrible wreck, or they, you know who they call? Northside. Come over, meet, be with our students. Every week I met with those football players and got, went over there with a the Bible and told them about Jesus. I tell you, as long as those doors are open, walk through them, church. Walk through them. Jesus walked through doors day in and day out. When the world opens up doors, let's walk through them and tell them about Jesus. Love them. Maybe I, that's, that's not even part of my sermon. Um, uh, thank you. Y'all were singing, Going That Way. Uh, and I looked over at Diane and said, I can hear Priscilla just singing the alto line right now. That's my mama. She's in heaven. Uh, uh, but so many precious things this morning. Uh, and then of all things, I'm going to preach on the second coming, and my eschatology is about as, about as good as, I don't know, uh, is the preacher the, the just called and barely knows the Bible, probably. Um, but I do seek to honor the Word of God. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, those of you that, uh, we'll start at verse 1, those of you that uh, have not been here in recent weeks, I began a series of sermons leading up to Easter about the Passion Week, the last week, the last eight days of Jesus before the resurrection, including Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday, and taking the days as they go along as best I can and talk about what Jesus did because I believe this was the most important week of the life of Jesus Christ. And I believe that all the other days, all those 33 and a half years up to this point, he lived those days to come to this point, to go to the cross and rise from the dead. That last week was so important. So today we come to another day uh, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to read. I can't read all of this. As a matter of fact, verse, chapters 24 and 25 go together. It's all one sermon. Only one other sermon is longer recorded in all the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the Sermon on the Mount, which is also in Matthew, verse, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, we're going to look at this sermon, portions of it, and I can't cover it all. As a matter of fact, you'd have to write volumes. You, you pray for me. Uh, um, 
when I say eschatology, did I use the word eschatology? Uh, eschatology, eschatos, uh, is the Greek word for last things. Um, and it, it's, it's about the second coming of Christ, what's going to happen in the future, the end of the world, end of the age, and whatnot. <clears throat> and uh, and, and I, sometimes I feel like the guy I heard that was at Kroger's, this senior citizen guy, and he was leaning up against the, the milk uh, uh, racks and everything. And, uh, and, his, and one of his elderly buddies came in and says, Bill, you look so worried, You're torn up. He says, uh, what's wrong? He says, uh, <clears throat> he says, I'm just, I'm real worried about the hereafter. And uh, his buddy said, man, you're one of the best church members I know. You, I mean, you've got a tremendous witness. You're in church every week. You sing in the choir, a deacon. He said, why are you worried? He said, no, you don't understand. I'm worried about what my wife sent me hereafter." <laughs> Sometimes when I preach on eschatology, I... I, I, I worry about the hereafter, what, if I'm really going to get to it. But you be patient with me. You know, so many good people disagree on so many different points about eschatology, the end of time. Do you know that? Great men. My dear pastor, one of the greatest soul winners, maybe the greatest pastor soul winner in Middle Tennessee of all time, Bob Mallory. He's with the Lord today at Park Avenue Baptist Church. Some people are amening. Uh, for over 30 years, they baptized somewhere in the vicinity of 125 to 150 people every single year. That man was a soul winner. He loved Jesus. Great. He and I didn't agree on eschatology. And that's something. Uh, but I did agree with Adrian Rogers. He's in heaven too. Uh, so uh, you can take a balance right there. And it's just little differences, little differences. Why am I saying all this? Stan, let's read some. All right, Matthew chapter 24, uh, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read through verse 15, and then I'm going to jump to verse 29. So you kind of follow with me. And it says in verse 20, in verse 1 of chapter 24 of Matthew, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. The disciples, are, look at the temple. You know, he cleared it the day before. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's ornate. So look. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon, watch this, remember this, the mount of olives. By the way, that's what this sermon is commonly called among people that study Scripture, the Mount Olivet Discourse. All right? The disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us. Basically asked three questions. When shall these things be? I believe they're talking about when's all these stones going to fall you're talking about? That right there. Uh, tell us when these things shall be. And then they go on. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Many translations correctly, the end of the age. Not planet earth being ended, but the end, the age, the coming of Christ. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, 
For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Can I tell you another clear translation from the Greek? The beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. By the way, that's chapter 9 of Daniel. I wish I'd cover that today. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, in parentheses, parenthetically, whoso readeth, let him understand. Jump to verse 29. Just because I can't write a book today. You may think I do by the time I'm through. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. I'm going to have to stop there, and I probably won't get near covered what I want. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to be with these precious folks, so many wonderful Bible-believing church folks in this place, certainly at the very core of what Hillcrest Baptist Church is. Um, as we look today at this passage, I pray for your patient grace over this preacher's life as I seek to cover and be clear as I can be with the people what Jesus thought important to tell his disciples that day and uh, what he thought important to tell Israel that day, what he thought important to tell Israel in this hour. Uh, give me clarity. May Jesus be so high and lifted up like it speaks of him in his glory seen in the heavens. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When Jesus preaches his sermon, it is Tuesday of the Passion Week. Two days before this time, he entered Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna, the king has come. 
Jesus accepted their claims that he was king. He accepted their praise, even though he was not the kind of king they expected or wanted. Yet. Yet. Israel, in Jesus' day, wanted a king to make their world right. I find that all the time when I witness and speak to people. They want Jesus if they can find the Jesus that will make their world right. Give me what I want, what I feel like I need. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Israel wanted a king that would make their world right. In his first coming, Jesus did not necessarily come to make the world right. He came to make hearts right. And get your heart right and God will make your world right. Say amen. See, that's what he came to do. But for that to happen, it would require that the perfect king of glory to humble himself, to die a sinner's death so he could become the savior of those who would trust him and make him the king of their hearts. But can I tell you something? Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. There is a second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, so little before this time in the Gospels was said over these 33 and a half years of Jesus' life about the second coming. Uh, so little was said. But in this last week, this last week, knowing that so many had missed the meaning of his first coming, so many in Israel had missed the meaning of his first coming. Jesus takes time to preach one of the longest sermons in all the Bible about his second coming. Now, the Redeemer, the suffering servant, our Savior, will return one day as ruler and sovereign Savior of this world he will be no doubt the king of Israel and the king of the universe. This sermon that Jesus preaches here is actually in response to the three questions the disciples ask him. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the close of the age? You may want to combine the last two uh, questions about the sign of your coming and close of the age since they coincide so clearly. And the question, when will these things be? He was talking about the destruction of the temple. There will be one stone left upon another. Jesus really, Matthew really doesn't record Jesus giving a clear answer to that. Did, uh, as we read through there, you didn't see him say anything about that. But Luke, if you want to look later, please make it later. In Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24, Luke does talk about the time when the temple will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. It was destroyed about 40 years after this event right here when Titus, the general of Rome, one of the Rome's generals, came in came into, during the Jewish wars and during the battle and the war between Rome and Israel itself, he leveled the temple. 
He leveled it. I tell you, he so leveled it. They said that the fires and the destructions were so bad, and, and the stones were incredible. The destruction was so bad that the golden ornaments and the golden vessels and things that were part of the temple melted down during the fire, and that the, the soldiers and the people of the community came in, and they'd do anything to move the stones, shift them anywhere and everywhere to get to that melted gold. I tell you, it was leveled. It was leveled. But Jesus is not even recorded speaking of that in the book of Matthew. He talks about the signs of his coming and the end of the age, his second coming. I want you to follow me this morning. You know, eschatology, the the end time, um, the tribulation, uh, the coming of Christ, the final judgment. These, there are a lot of complicated, a lot of issues. Uh, have you read Revelation chapter uh, 4 through 19 recently? Uh, it just, sometimes it just doesn't leap off the page, does it? Uh, it's, there's a lot of things to understand and go through there. There's a lot of things in this passage. But, but I think there are a lot of things we can understand and we need to understand. And one of the big ones is this. I want, I want you to remember that the questions that were asked by the disciples, when are you coming as the king of Israel uh, and the king we expect you to be and when will you make the world right, the end of the age, um, that these questions so much were Jewish. You follow me? And the, now, I'm going to, there's first big bold statement. I'm going to make several bold statements this morning. I've got to take my watch off here. I promise to be out by one. Um, first bold statement. Chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew are all about Israel. They're not about the church. Can I help you as you study this passage? It's all about Israel. It's, look at that temple. Isn't that marvelous? Hey, it's going to be destroyed. Oh, when, when's the end of the age? Well, what are the signs of you coming when you come again? He's talking about when he comes again to Israel. That's what these questions are about. There's going to be a time when he is the king they expected the first time. When he makes all things right when he puts down his enemies and he rules and reigns on this earth. He's going to be the king they expected him to be in his second coming. That's what this is about. The context of the questions is Jewish. The answers that Jesus gives concerns God's continued concern for the Jews. Hear me, there's a second bold statement. Are you ready? God is not finished with Israel. He isn't. Now, I'm going to be the first to say, not everything about that nation that's over there just off the Mediterranean today is the Israel necessarily we're talking about. A lot of things got to happen there. A lot of things got to happen. A lot of things are going to happen. A lot of things are going to I'm not telling you that that bunch right now is the apple of God's eye, but I want you to think with me for a moment, the miracle of that bunch still being there. That, I don't mean bunch to sound... Tacky. I, I'm definitely not anti-Semitic, but 
isn't it something that Israel, after 4,000 years, and everybody that hates them, meant to defeat them and kill them and destroy them, they're still there. They're still there. You see, God is not finished with Israel. But I must pause in, in the introduction and say, before anything in chapter 24 and 25 happen, there's another event on God's redemptive calendar. And it's a part of the second coming. Now, don't let somebody say, would you talk about the rapture? And then when you talk about the, the revelation, you talk about, it says, that, that, it, that's a second and third coming. No, it's not. It's one second coming. It's one second coming. What, what I want to say is the next event on God's redemptive calendar is the calling home of the church, of the New Testament saints. It has traditionally been called, though it's not a word in the Bible, the rapture, the catching away, the taking away out of this world. Let's read it. You know it, don't you? How many of you had this read at the graveside of those you love? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. You must not be talking to Baptists. Um, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others who ha which have no hope. You know, I just love that verse. And I'm t I'll just tell you right now, I mean, Christian folks, it's a heartache. There are righteous tears. There's righteous heartache, all right? If you love somebody deeply and they die, you have the right to cry. Can I tell you that? You, you have the right to ache in your heart. But you don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Oh, I love that verse. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means that have already died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Um, that's the rapture. You see it? It's Jesus coming for his saints. The book of Jude, verse 14 says, one day he's coming with his saints. That's the revelation. The rapture, the revelation. The rapture happens in the air. It didn't say anything about Jesus coming to earth, did it? Or setting up any rain, did it? Everything's happening in the air. I remember not long before I got saved. See, I was raised in a church that believed in these things. Um, and, uh, and I remember not long before I was saved, I had a dream. And you know what my dream was? The rapture had come. And I was a lost man. You should have seen me. I saw all these people taking off. And why not? And I, I said, I'm not going. I started jumping in my dream. You know, I, maybe I need to get a jump start. 
I think the Holy Spirit used that to be says, if he came, you wouldn't go. And you can't jump. He has to catch you up. He has to catch you up. That's a side item. It's in the air. But the revelation of Jesus Christ is going to be where? On the earth. I know it begins in the skies, but he's going to come to this earth. See, the rapture of the church is secretive, catching away of the saints. But the revelation of Jesus Christ is an unveiling. It says even those that pierced him, those who were behind him dying on the cross, they're going to see him. And see, the, the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says comfort one another with these words. It's encouragement. But when you read about the revelation, it's judgment. They're different. But the same thing, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to come as king and make the world right after the rapture and after the time of judgment on this earth. You know, and I, um, if I ever use uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18... I'll stand out at the cemetery, and, I'll, and I often use it. I like this illustration. I, it's something that just God gave it to me years ago. I said, look around you. And often it's pretty places, well-kept lawns, a lot of flowers. Uh, many of the cemeteries are that way. I said, look at this place. Look at all the attention that's been given there. Look at how careful everything's going on about lowering this body of one of our saints, one of our dear brothers and sisters into the ground. I said, but I want to tell you something. With all this decoration and beauty and the atmosphere here, I said, you know, this is a grand stage. And we're setting this stage for the greatest drama in human history. Because one day Jesus is going to appear in the sky with those that have gone before, and he's going to call our names and every saint that knows Jesus asleep in the grave, uh, their body's asleep, going to rise from the grave and meet him in the air. They, those graves are going to break open. Can you imagine what that's going to do to the rest of the world? To see all those cemeteries? To see all those things happening? It's going to happen. Now, I'm not preaching about the rapture today. I'm preaching about the revelation. That's what... 24 and 25 is about. But see, can I say something to you? This is kind of Jesus doing something similar. As I talked about us setting the stage at that cemetery for the rapture, Jesus is setting the stage for his revelation. You know how I know it? If you have your Bibles, you can go to Zechariah chapter 14. In Zechariah chapter 14, in verse 1, <clears throat> Zechariah wrote, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. You know what the day of the Lord is in, in, in Jewish uh, theology, don't you? That's, the, that's God's judgment. That's the end of time. The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the highest house is rifled. Uh, <clears throat> and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. 
Then shall the Lord Jehovah go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Watch this, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day. Where? On the Mount of Olives. Watch this, folks. Zechariah says one day, Jehovah God's coming in. Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament, folks. He is God in the flesh. And when he comes again in Revelation, after that appearance in the sky, when he finally lands on planet Earth, I think about the spaceships that have landed on the moon and watching all that on TV. When Jesus touches down, well, you know where his foot's going to land? On the Mount of Olives where he's preaching this sermon on Matthew chapter 24 and 25 today. You catch that? I told you, follow me. I'm, I'm about to race through this thing in a moment. I, this is the introduction, by the way. He's, he stands there on the Mount of Olives and he says to his disciples, let me set the stage for you disciples. Let me tell you about the day I come and I settle things up as the king of Israel. As I come back, come back and make this earth right. And he sets the stage. That is what Matthew 24 and 25 are about. That is what Revelation chapter 5 verse th through chapters 19 are about. He's setting the stage here on the Mount of Olives for the day he comes in perfect revelation. Now, you ready for the sermon? Just three points. Say if they're as long as the introduction, Brother Ken. Um, no telling. But let me, let me share with you some things about the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he makes this world right. Number one, Jesus' second coming will be after a time of great trouble, great tribulation. Verse 29 of Matthew 24 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, in verse 21, it says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Folks, we've seen some bad times, haven't we? How many in here, you be brave about your age, remember the Great Depression? Anybody? I know that that's a hard one. Some of you do. You had to be, the lady said, you kidding? No, I'm not going to tell you. I says, I, I barely remember the Vietnam War. Um, but um, my mom and dad, my dad was born during World War I. He went through the, grew up in the Great Depression. Went through the years of World War II and the Korean conflict. Um, and all of those times and whatnot. And I look back, you know, Brokaw called him the greatest generation. And I, I think that's probably the greatest title he ever gave anybody or any writer ever gave anybody. They were just about the greatest generation. What they did for our country, what they did for the world. I'm telling you what, folks, in the middle of the last century, America saved the world. They did. And I just, I'm just amazed. Terrible, hard times. But in this passage, Jesus talks about 
a time of great tribulation, great trouble, like it never been before. And uh, as you read, like in those early verses that we read in chapter 24, verses 4 going down through verse 14 and 15, uh, I have to admit to you that some of you are going to say, that could be now. That could be now. Uh, that's where a lot of people start getting confused about their doctrine of the end time. Well, those things are happening now, so where does this break off? And over there? And it's, everybody wants to be so precise and break off and whatnot. Some of them are happening, but I tell you, they're going to happen like you've never seen them happen before during the Great Tribulation. He says in verses 4 and 5, that false prophets are going to rise up. False Christ. We already see people. Um, it seems like in my college and young adult years, we had more false messiahs than I, that I hear about today. Maybe they're still around. I remember Sun Young Moon and, and Hare Krishna and all of this stuff. Uh, but I tell you, when Sun Young Moon has done been gone, Jesus is going to be king. And by the way, Moon's gone. Some of you remember him. False Christ, false prophets rise up. Then in verse 6, this is one of people say, it says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So, Brother Ken, that can apply to now. But if you want to apply that just to now, like the second coming is close, folks, that's been, hasn't that been true forever? Can I tell you something? Man has never learned to live in peace. My Lord Jesus Christ said that 2,000 years ago. And we're still living in wars and rumors of wars, aren't we? You know, I read that there's all sorts of estimates going around. But since the turn of the 20th century, beginning of the 1900s, it's believed that close to one-third of a billion people have died in wars. Population in the United States died in wars. Think about the Civil War. You ever study the Civil War? Both sides claimed God was on their side. Do <laughs> you know that? Come on, Southerners, wake up. They both did. They both used the Bible to justify what they were doing. You ever been to Cage Cove? I get tickled when I go there. There was one Baptist church that would follow the Union, one Baptist church that followed the South. Uh, it's good to study all that stuff. But we, we, we killed one another. Wars, wars. And for 3,000 years, there have been incredible hostility against Israel. Have you been watching the news lately? Not only do they hate Israel and sending bombs over there, but in this hour, the Palestinians are fighting the Palestinians. Do you watch the news? There's two groups of uh, Arabs, Islamic people, fighting one another. Wars, wars, wars. I'm telling you, until Jesus comes back, man will never learn to live in peace. Verse 7 talks about famines and earthquakes. Yes, we see them, but it's talking about a time like we've never seen before. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6 says, it'll be a time when a measure of wheat cost a penny. A measure would be about a quart. A penny would be a day wage for a man. That would mean a sack of flour if you make $25,000 a year, it would cost $100. If you make $50,000, it would 
Yeah, I'll let you do the math, all right? A day's wage. Famine. Earthquakes. Verses 10 through 14 talk about so, all sorts of chaos. But it also says that there's going to come a time, says in verse 13, it says, uh, in verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Folks, I'm telling you, not till the days of the great tribulation will it finally, we know, people want to tell me all the time, you know, because of radio and mass media and everything, everyone's heard the gospel. Everybody hasn't heard the gospel. But it will happen when 144,000 Jewish evangelists spread across this planet somehow and tell everybody about Jesus. That's going to happen then. That's going to happen. And then in verse 15, you ready? Wake up. It's hard for me to stay awake during this sermon, all right? When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Most people believe along with this preacher that this is right in the middle of the Great Tribulation. About three and a half years in of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And what's going to happen, and when you get there, I, know my, I don't know where Mike is right now. He'll get this right when you get to Daniel 9, won't you? Um, that um, in that 70th week, that last seven years, that seems to be missing in the Bible, in the New Testament, it'll be that week of Tribulation. And the Antichrist who will defeated so many and gained such a reputation with Israel, will rebuild the temple, re, re, reestablish the sacrifices, all the worship in the temple. But one thing he's going to do, he's going to stand in that temple and he's going to build a monument to himself, a statue. And he's going to tell people, says, I want all the world to worship me and I want you to die, bow down before this idol. And the Jews that got any knowledge, got any no wherewithal knowledge at all about the Old Testament and the things of God and the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image. The Jews are going to rise up and say, wait a minute. This isn't right. You can be the Christ. And it'll be out and out rebellion against him. And all of the nations of the world will come against him. This is in that three and a half years Right there. Did you notice? I, I can't help. Do you ever notice things in your Bible? Verse 15 has a parenthetical statement. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Does that give you any notion whatsoever that Jesus is saying? He said, not you guys listening today, but some people way on down the line one day need to read this to realize what's going on. Does that make sense to you? Am I reading something into that text? There it is. How much do we see of this today? We see a lot of it. But, it, but the scripture says it'll be nothing like the tribulation. And it's just the beginning of birth pains, of sorrow. Birth pains of what? The birth of the kingdom of Christ. The birth of Jesus' kingdom. Verse 29 says immediately after the tribulation, those days, 
shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I have to tell you, I can't hardly find that now in our generation. That's one I can't find. You can, you can build all sorts of images that you want, but it's saying at the second coming of Jesus Christ, there'll be cosmic upheaval, and it'll be happening in the heaven. God makes all of this happen in the skies. And I thought to myself as I was studying this, you know, man so long failed to look up, God's going to make them look up now. Look what's going on. And you know what else it reminds me of? The judgment's going to touch everybody. Everybody look up in the skies. You know, it's going to touch everybody. You know, we can have an earthquake now. Um... We can have storms or whatnot, and you can go to where they are, but one day this stuff's going to happen in the sky for everyone to see. Some of you have been to natural disasters, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes. Some of you have been involved in disaster relief, or you've seen the reporting on the news. As you think of what you've seen, are you ever reminded, we can't control this? You don't want me to say something about man-made global warming, do you? I'll be, how many, raise your hand if I'll lose you, if I say something about that. Who will vote me out, all right? (laughs) You know, um, I, um, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I don't have anything wrong with, I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me if I'll talk about climate change. I mean, it could be 20 degrees today if you're in Tennessee, and it'll be 70 tomorrow, amen? That's climate change. But can I tell you something? I'm not in control of that. I'm not in control. I'm not in control at all. Here's what I... I believe Christians ought to be stewards of this planet. I don't like trash, and I don't like, I don't like pollution. Do you? I don't, don't blow smoke in my face. I call that pollution. I don't, I don't like trash and I don't like pollution. But I can tell you this. We are not in control of this earth. We are stewards of this earth. We better be good stewards in every way we can do. But my Lord Jesus Christ holds all things together, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And one day he's going to let go. Today, here's the, how many big statements that I've said so far? Here's another big statement. Today, Jesus, Jesus holds all things together and he's holding back his wrath. One day he's going to let go of both of them. That's going to be the day of great trouble. The next two points are really fast. You ready? His second coming will be a time of great transparency. Verse, verse 30 of chapter 24 says... And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And then shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And with power and great glory. It says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 that he's going to appear and every eye will see him. And it says that all the earth will wail because of him. You know... Our politicians love talking about, I'm going to have a transparent administration. Can I tell you something? This isn't one of my big statements. They're all lying to you. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. 
They'll hide everything they can from you. <laughs> the mayor's not here this morning, is he? Um, <clears throat> um, trip. But Jesus, one day, is going to be so transparent. Everything he is. You know, the truth is, much of the deity of Jesus Christ was voluntarily veiled in his first coming. He was more interested in identifying with us, with his humiliation. His prerogatives were restrained. He held back what he could do. There was times when he stilled the storm, but he didn't walk through every day stilling storms. There was times when he could tell, turn a little boy's lunch into something that would feed thousands, but that's not even the way he fixed lunch every day, was it? There was times when he read minds, but he obviously didn't do that all the time. How rough would that have been on the disciples? I know what you're thinking. You know, people tell me that all the time, but Jesus could. I know what you're thinking. He, did, he, did, he restrained those things. But one day the great high priest completed his sacrifice once for all and is now seated at the right hand of the Father waiting on him just to say, it's time to go. When he comes again, this veil will be dropped. There'll be a sign in the sky. People say, what's that sign going to be? Is it going to be a big cross up there? Or is it going to be the Shekinah glory coming back? I just believe it's going to be Jesus. And I don't know how that happens. I don't know, you know, I don't know, you know, Brother Ken, how's it going to be seen around the world? I don't know. I don't know how any of this stuff's going to happen. God's involved. He's making it happen. They'll see Jesus himself. The tribes will mourn. The earth will wail. They'll be sorry. It'll be too late to repent. Can I tell you another little statement? You know, if I remember the story of the rich man in hell and Lazarus, the rich man in hell just kept begging that somebody would go and witness to his family and whatnot. You know what that story reminds me of, teaches me? That there are no unbelievers in hell, just those who believe too late. They'll be sorry. They'll be sorry too late. The Son of Man coming on the clouds. <laughs> you know, what is all this about, about this transparency? It's saying, listen world, listen church, listen everybody. One day, it's absolutely going to be unmistakable, undebatable. Jesus is the King of glory. He's the only hope of heaven. He's God's Savior. He's your Savior. And there's no other way. It's going to be posted in the skies. You know, we can have all sorts of debates about what we believe about eschatology. But Jesus is telling us, one day I tell you, it's going to be unmistakable and undebatable. I am the king of glory. I am the king that will judge this earth. He is the only true God, the only way, the only hope. And church, Hillcrest Baptist Church, isn't it worthwhile to us to say we are going to make sure that that's our continued ministry, to let the world know that Jesus is your only hope, that we will be salt, light, the children of God, a city set on a hill. People will see us. Let me challenge you, church, 
Never give an inch regarding the fact that Jesus is the only way. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's like having a host of doors behind us. And we've looked through those doors and we know that every door goes off into the abyss. Every door goes off into hell. Every door goes into the flames of fire except one. And it's got Jesus written on it. And for us to tell everybody, hey, don't go through those other doors. Don't go through those other doors. There's just one door to God. It's Jesus. That's not arrogance. That's not pride. That's love. That's compassion. Last point. I know you didn't think I was going to get through. Jesus' second coming will be a time of great triumph. A day of great triumph. I'm going to say it later on. I'll say it again. Jesus is going to win. Jesus, in verse 31, you, we've already read bits of it, it says, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, and from one end of the heaven to the other. I believe that's the elect of Israel there. Uh, the elect of Israel. And it's the angels come. They, did this say anything about the angels? The, the angels blowing a horn on the, the sound of the archangel in First Thessalonians. It doesn't say anything about the angels coming. Jesus is coming for the church. But the angels, he's sending out his angels to do this. It's a time of revelation, vindication, judgment, and victory. In verse 31 of chapter 25, it says this. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. He's, he's a winner. God, the rejection of God's people was never so intense, will never be so horrific as in the tribulation. But if you know Jesus today, do not despair, my friend. He wins. Grandpa came to the softball game. Some of you are signing up for softball. I've heard that announcement about six times here, and I hadn't signed up yet. Um, um, and um, Grandpa came late to the game and his son was playing right field. He, that, that's a sign you're a star playing softball for the church in your right field. Um, <clears throat> he was out in right field and he went down the fence line and, uh, to see his grandson and the score on the board said 26 to nothing against him, against that, his church's team. And Grandpa said to son, son, I am so sorry Y'all get beats up so bad. He said, don't worry, Grandpa. We had not been to bat yet. <laughs> Listen to me, friends. Jesus ain't been to bat yet. Amen. Don't ever forget it. He's going to win. He's going to make this world right. He's going to gather the elect Jews and the Gentiles that are saved during the tribulation. Uh, that's another story, another study, another day. But I'm telling you, everybody that came to know Christ during the tribulation, uh, th those that refused the mark of the beast, those, those, he's going to gather them together and he's going to bring them home. He's going to win. God's people are going to win. Not my conclusion. No matter what your beliefs about the end of time, eschatology might be, whatever your view of prophecy, prophecy is, let me tell you, everyone gathered here today, 
This is my message. I know there are a lot of differences and glitches. I tell you, Mike and I will probably sit down and say, oh, no, I don't see that quite in Daniel or Revelation or whatnot. Somebody else might sit down, another teacher, you know. Um, I know that my theology is very much in line with people like Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, W.A. Criswell. Uh, and uh, I could go on with a lot of these folks uh, that believe like I do and but there's always little differences, uh, little edges. Whatnot. But whatever your view of prophecy, here's what Jesus meant to tell Israel and tell the world. He is coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to win. And only his people are going to win. I've said on different occasions... Uh, that I grew up in Nashville. I grew up on the God side of town, West Nashville. Um, and um, out in West Nashville, there's a big park named Centennial, and it's got a replica of the Parthenon in there. And years after I grew up and came back, I, I was missed. For some reason, I was out at the park with family or whatnot, and I was just, you know, as a kid, you just go inside and run around and everything and play. And, but I remember I was just kind of looking at the Parthenon, and I went up, and I noticed this bronze plaque on the wall right next to the doors. Any, anybody following me? You ever seen this? There's a plaque right next to those big old bronze doors. And this is what the plaque says. These bronze doors weigh seven and a half tons apiece. They are seven feet wide, 24 feet high and one foot thick. They are considered to be the largest matching set of bronze doors in the world. And I looked at that, well, that's, that's a little bit of trivia I've never known or never seen. But immediately, it's kind of like God spoke to my heart. And I was reminded, in this life, there are two doors that can close on you. One is death, and one is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And my friend, you let either one close on you, and you're going to go out of this world without Christ and without hope. Amen. Jesus is going to win. And only His children, only God's children are going to win. You know, you read all this, sounds like headlines and everything else. You can go out of here and say, oh, that's somewhere in the future. Brother Ken, you said that all had to do with the Jews. My friend, let me tell you something. In a moment, Jesus could appear in the sky and take home his children. And then following those, and, and I, I tell you, you have no assurance during the days of tribulation that you will in any way have any kind of conviction, any kind of conviction that you've already had on this side of the rapture. But you'll go through that period of time. You'll go through that suffering, through that judgment. But forget that. You could die before you get home today. And I'm telling you, that door will close just as hard and just as strong. And you'll go out of this world without Jesus. If you need Christ today, be saved. Be saved. Know Jesus.